If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City, one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City. We are delighted to have with us as our guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Lisa Wolf, who holds an endowed chair of Professor of Hebrew Bible at Oklahoma City University, and also teaches for St. Paul School of Theology. She is ordained in the United Church of Christ and teaches and preaches regularly in our community and across the country. Dr. Wolf is the author of multiple Bible commentaries, including Ruth, Esther, Song of Songs, and Judith, Uppity Women of the Bible, and Ecclesiastes, which was just released this month. Thank you, Dr. Wolf, for bringing us a word this morning. This is from the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. Then the daughters of Zelophehad came forward. Zelophehad was son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Mahir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, a member of the Manasite clans. The names of his daughters were Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. They stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. You shall indeed let them possess an inheritance among their father's brothers, and pass the inheritance of their father on to them. You shall also say to the Israelites, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall pass his inheritance on to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. It shall be for the Israelites a statute and an ordinance, as the Lord commanded Moses. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Starting in the book of Exodus, 
chapter 15, verse 22, through to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 18, our ancestors in faith were in the wilderness. My favorite wilderness story is the first one that's told about Mahla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. If you hadn't heard any of the stories about Mahla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah before the reading of Numbers 27 just now, well, I'm glad you joined me today to learn about them. These five women, five sisters, were in the wilderness during the time when the second generation of wilderness wanderers were taking a census, counting one another in order to determine how many ways to divide the land. When I first told my husband Fred this story, he stopped to ask, wait. So they were talking about divvying up land that they didn't even have yet? Well, yes. That's how the narrative goes. They were getting counted in order to figure out how to divide land they were expecting to receive once they got out of the wilderness and into the so-called promised land. Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah demanded to get their fair share, even though they were women, with no father, brothers, or husbands. Now, there are several things to comment on about this situation, and the first one I will mention is the issue of this so-called promised land. I refer to it as so-called because the term conjures for some of us images of vast swaths of uninhabited and fertile acreage free for the taking. For others of us, promised land conjures images of conquering armies, taking out all of the inhabitants of said land, inhabitants who believed promised land already applied to their home, not to the invaders. So that's a problem. Historically, it may well be that the invaded and invaders of the biblical so-called promised land were one in the same, or at least very much combined, and the stories about invasion and a land of promise were more symbolic than literal. But since the time the stories were written, these stories have been used to justify many actual violent conquests, making quite a number of peoples around the globe feel nervous, colonized, and furious at the mention of the term promised land. So I want to at least name that complexity. I should also note that, by and large, what we read in the book of Numbers was actually written centuries later than what the book reports. So it is fair to think of these wilderness stories as idealized recollections or even symbolic memories of what happened or what the community wish would have happened at a much later time. But back to the wilderness story. In Numbers 27, we met these five sisters, Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah, in the midst of the ancient Israelites divvying up the land they expected to receive later. The thing is, that land was being divvied up according to patriarchal lines. In other words, it got assigned to the male head of a family. And Machlanoa, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza's father, Zalafahad, was dead. And they had no brothers. 
So according to how things had usually been done up to that time, that meant, in terms of divvying up, Zelophehad's portion of land would essentially be lost to the whole. Tough luck for his daughters, Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirsa. And yes, I'm trying to get you to learn their names. So right away in this passage, Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza approach Moses and the elders to take a stand about their situation. That seems to me like a bold move. Although no one in the passage makes any comment about this being an unusually assertive thing to do. Still, as far as my own work on the uppity women of the Bible goes, I like to count Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza as uppity, by which I mean the part of the dictionary.com definition that states rebelliously self-assertive. After approaching and standing, Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza state their case. Our father died in the wilderness, they said. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Now, to understand this whole business about Korah, you have to go back and read Numbers chapter 16, which is actually one of the more disturbing wilderness stories, and I'm not going to get into it right now. But what we need to know at this point is that because Zelophehad was not part of the company of Korah means that he or any of his sons would have been eligible to receive some of the so-called promised land that was going to be divvied, up out, divvied out in this part of Numbers. So this statement from Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah explains to Moses and the elders their father's eligibility. And the daughter's reference to Zelophehad having no sons indicates their predicament as Zelophehad's daughters. Then Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah move to a question that leads to a demand. Why should the name of our father be taken away because he had no son. Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Okay, now that sounds uppity to me. But that's my reaction, not that of the biblical narrator. The biblical narrator has no comment on their demand. Although my colleague and teacher, Thomas Dozman, notes in his numbers commentary that in the previous chapter, the daughter's place in the genealogy provided for the sake of the census identifies them as the seventh generation of the seventh tribe. And if you have been paying attention in your reading of the Hebrew Bible, you probably noticed that seven is a pretty significant number, as in God resting on the seventh day and that big rule about everyone resting on the seventh day. So maybe the biblical narrator is actually pretty excited about Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza, but just has their own way of showing it. So far, we have seen Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza approach, stand, state, and demand their land. This is kind of rhymy, which is helpful for remembering, because we all might need to remember to approach, stand, state, and demand. But I'll get to that later. 
After their demand, the biblical narrator, without emotion, reports that Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses. I'll get back to the Lord's response in a minute. First, let me note what I am emotional about regarding this passage, though the narrator is not emotional about it. You see, Moses was stumped, but he did not make up an answer or anything like that. He just went to the Lord, and the Lord responded. The Lord gave Moses a new teaching, a new Torah, this is only one of four times that the Lord gave Moses a new teaching post-Sinai. My colleague, Will Gaffney, in her book, Womanist Midrash, points out that in the Talmud, the rabbis wrote that Machlanoah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza knew of this teaching because of their righteousness. That's in Bava Batra, in case you wanted to know. All of that is a pretty big deal in the scheme of the first five books of the Bible. And even though the biblical narrator does not get emotional about it, we can. And as for the Lord's response, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. I just want to say that again. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. You shall indeed let them possess an inheritance among their father's brothers and pass the inheritance of their father on to them. And then the Lord takes that teaching well beyond the situation of Machlanoah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. It is a teaching that will apply to every related situation and gets it filled in with lots of if-thens, as any good case law should. And that's the end of it for now. It just ends with a fairly monotone, as I imagine it, boring law code. No offense to any attorneys, of course. But I, as you now understand, do not find this boring at all. I still quite, can't quite get over that opening response from the Lord. The daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. As I already repeated twice, Machlanoah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza were right, according to the Lord, in their strategy to approach, stand, state, and demand that they get their portion of the so-called promised land, even while they were still in the wilderness even though they were women. And let us take note that God agreed. God agreed with their rhetorical question, why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Now I have to be honest with you. In the other stories about Machlanoah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah, things don't work out quite so well for them. In Numbers 36, they are told by Moses, let them marry whom they think best, only it must be into a tribe, a clan of their father's tribe that they are married, so that no inheritance of the Israelites shall be transferred from one tribe to another. For all Israelites shall retain the inheritance of their ancestral tribes. So that's Numbers 36, 6 through 7. Notably, Moses did not directly consult the Lord on that one. And, yeah, 
it sounds like backpedaling to me too. I'm going to cling to the earlier teaching that Moses got from the Lord, the one that emphasizes Machlanoa, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza receiving an inheritance, not the one about who they can marry. Machlanoa, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza went to God for guidance, and God said, my paraphrase here, don't leave them out. Even in the wilderness, God makes sure there's a place for uppity women with no father, brother, or husband, like Machlanoa, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza, who approach, stand, state, and demand, even in the wilderness. There's another wilderness story that has been coming to mind for me in the past week, which is the one all the way back in Exodus 16. That chapter is at the very beginning of the wilderness time. But we learn a lot about our ancestors in faith and about God and maybe about human nature in that chapter. It's about what the people will eat in the wilderness. What they had to eat was precisely what God miraculously provided to them. They had quail meat in the evenings, and in the mornings they had these honey wafers that they called manna. And the instruction from the Lord was that they were not to gather more than the set amount of what each family needed. If they did take more, that is, if they hoarded this miracle food, it would turn foul with worms. The message here is clear. No hoarding allowed in the wilderness. So it seems to me we have several pieces of guidance from our ancestors in faith and their interactions with God when they were in the wilderness. From Machlanoa, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza's story, we learn to approach, stand, state, and demand. Even in the wilderness, we learn from their demanding question to Moses and the Lord's answer to their demanding question. Don't leave anyone out when you're divvying up what's supposed to be coming after the wilderness time is over. Also, no hoarding allowed. And I mention these things, of course, because we find ourselves in a wilderness as well. It was already Lent, a wilderness time for the church, and then came COVID-19. Coronavirus, casting us into a wilderness we could hardly have imagined. In our wilderness, there is hoarding too. For us, for whatever reason, it seems to be about toilet paper. And from what I could tell at the grocery store, breakfast cereal. But toilet paper and breakfast cereal should really be the least of our worries. Let us learn from Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza's story, and I hope we will get a little uppity on behalf of ourselves or others who are liable to be left behind without any inheritance or food or jobs or health care in this wilderness. Liable to be left behind are the young people from the Oklahoma City Sisu Shelter for Youth experiencing homelessness. Although the shelter is making the valiant effort to be open 22 hours a day during this time, 
Since most of the places those youth would normally go during the day are closed due to the virus, their job prospects, which were already not good, are worse or non-existent now. Liable to be left behind are those out of work and out of food. Prior to this virus situation, one in nine individuals struggled with food insecurity. That number is higher if we just look at children. All those numbers are higher now that many workers have lost their jobs without pay and the children are out of school. Liable to be left behind are recent college graduates whose new jobs and new apartments are suddenly gone and who are seeking out relatives to live with. Liable to be left behind are the Syrian refugees, among others, living in crowded camps where social distancing is not an option whatsoever, places where the virus will almost surely ravage already vulnerable populations. In our wilderness of COVID-19, there are those of us who are liable to be left behind, like Mahla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza were themselves feeling liable to be left behind, nameless and landless. All wilderness wanderers, whether in the Sinai Desert or during Lent or in the middle of a COVID-19 quarantine, long for the awaited promised land And we may even argue about how post-wilderness promises will be divvied up. Yes, we all long for a promised land beyond this wilderness, but let us ensure that it not be at the expense of anyone. Let us not take our place in the promised land until everyone can come along. But that is difficult. Because in a time of hoarding, it's difficult to think of sharing. I get it. I have school-aged kids at home and college students in my classes on Zoom. I worry more than my fair share and suffer from anxiety aplenty. Will we get by? Will there be enough food, money, patience? But my friends, in the wilderness, we must look to God for some guidance. And, after all, we are people who know wilderness. We practice it every year at Lent with praying and fasting and sharing. And today I'm finding some guidance in the wilderness stories of our ancestors in faith, of Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza, of Miriam who sings and leads dancing once Moses has led them into the wilderness, of Mary and Martha who called on Jesus to bring their brother Lazarus back from the dead. So let us, with Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza, approach, stand, state, and demand. Let us take a cue from Moses, who took their request to God. Let us call on God and ask, what are we to do to help, to make sure no one gets left behind in the wilderness? We, my uppity friends, can make some calls and write some emails to legislators about caring for those who aren't covered by unemployment insurance 
and who are going to run out of money and food and a place to live very soon if that hasn't already happened. We, my uppity friends, can advocate for ramped up social services for the sake of those kids for whom staying at home is not a safe option because home is not a safe place for every kid. For those of us who are low risk enough to be able to get out to the grocery store, call someone you know is high risk and offer to drop needed food and other necessities on their front porch. For those of us who know someone who is out of work or who might be out of work or who is subject to depression in these isolating times, we can reach out and see what is needed and creatively find ways to help. For those of us who are able to work from home or even from an empty sanctuary, we need to share instead of hoard. For those of us who are still getting a paycheck, it is incumbent on us to share it more than usual with some organization or individual who needs it. And like I said, I know that's tough. In a time of hoarding, it is difficult to think about sharing. But we need to help support places like Sisu, the food pantries, the shelters, the refugee assistance group, groups, the social services agencies. I'm sure you have more ideas. And we, my uppity friends, can ask for help for ourselves when we need it, like Mahla Noah, Hogla Milka, and Tirza did. Approach, stand, state, and demand, because God calls on us to ensure that no one should be left behind nameless or landless or foodless or lonely. Yes, promises await. That is our claim as people of faith. That is our experience of wilderness. We look to an Easter end, as our people always have done during Lent, even though that end will likely not literally come on Easter. But until then, it is time to look for the gifts everywhere we can, whether it's the opportunity to teach our kids cursive or to porch drop groceries, you can email Mayflower UCC to volunteer for this, or to make a generous donation to a food pantry. The Church of the Open Arms Food Pantry needs toilet paper, by the way. Maybe it's time to plant a garden. And I've been thinking about how Mr. Rogers was known to quote his mother as saying, when scary things happen, look for the helpers. Today, let us ask God, how can I be a helper? Let us not take our place in the promised land without making sure everyone else can come along. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching from Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd, a block west of Portland. 
Thank you for listening.